So hello guys, um, it's me again, Xenia. Um, I'm the founder of one of the most efficient English schools for adults, at least I believe so. And today I'm having a really special guest. I know that I kind of start every episode with these words, but it's true this time. It's definitely true. So today my co-host and my guest is Christopher Reese. I met Christopher in 2018, I believe. I visited his, like first for me, definitely not his first session in an educational conference that was organized, I believe, by EduCamp or something like this. And to tell the truth, I didn't have an intention to go to that particular session. I was just passing by the classroom and I saw that the classroom was packed, really packed by teachers. And um, it seems to me that uh, organizers of the conference even had to bring some extra chairs and still people were standing there. So I decided to give it a go. It was pretty nice. So that was the first time I met him. But actually, we worked a bit more in my professional career with Chris, because when I was looking for a tutor, uh, when I wanted to go through Celta experience, um, I read a couple of reviews and I decided that it would be pretty cool to have Chris as a tutor. To tell the truth, reviews were pretty controversial, I have to say. But in, a, yeah, in most reviews, Chris was described as pretty tough tutor. And I decided that I was a pretty awesome teacher at that time, so I had to find a top tutor in order to learn more. And while I was thinking about this, Chris even changed one language center to another, so I was kind of following him, you know, from one center to another. But I believe, Chris, you can tell us about yourself better than I can do this. So the stage is yours. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you very much for that, Simi. Yeah. So basically, if I walk through kind of my teaching career, um, I started my teaching career back, well, my first teaching job I got actually in 20, what's it, the end of 2013. Um, is where I first kind of dipped my toes into education. And then a bit later on, I wound up doing a CELTA in about 20, was 2015, 2016, somewhere around that time. I started looking into it and finished it up. Um, went on to work as an English teacher, then went up to get my Delta a bit later. And in that time, well, I've been working as an English teacher and a teacher trainer in a variety of positions. So I've worked in in both language schools and mainstream school systems, which is actually where I work now. I do a lot of work in mainstream schools. Um, and in this time, I've worked as a CELTA trainer, so working, uh, helping people to get the CELTA qualification. I'm Delta Module 1 trainer. I've worked as a trainer on the CELT primary and CELT secondary courses. While those existed, um, I've done quite a bit of teaching myself. I've done everything from business English to exam prep to general English to uh, starters, C2 level classes, um, exam preparation. So uh, right now I work mostly with um, teaching children in YL and I've also worked in the capacity as a, as a manager. I've worked as the, direct, um, as the director of studies at two different centers um, where I've kind of managed teachers, developed curriculum, uh, developed assessment, things like that. And um, in addition to that, uh, a colleague and I published a course book a few years ago based at preparation for the Ukrainian ZNR, done a bit of work as an international examiner. So when it comes to kind of what you can do in ELT, I've kind of had a go at most of it at this point, I think. Yeah, so I see that you're a totally right person to talk about this because like your track record is amazing. You tried almost everything. 
as far as I remember from our CELTA course, you mentioned that you have a degree yes. in anthropology. My, my right. undergrad degree was not so, in teaching. Uh -huh. I came to it after. Uh, so how did it happen that you decided to become an English teacher? Um, I completely and totally failed to get into grad school for anthropology. That's how that happened. Uh, so basically, when I was, okay, I didn't see that coming yeah. to tell the truth. So basically, when I was finishing my university degree, um, I was majoring in anthropology and I actually did a bit of work for a few months as an archaeologist, figured out that I didn't like it. Um, but when I was in university, I had had a job through, through my university actually as a tutor slash teacher in some of the student support organizations that they offered. So basically I would work as a private teacher that people could book to help them out with classes that they were struggling with. The only condition was that, well, I had to have taken the class that they were struggling with, which kind of makes sense. Uh, and I understood that I really had enjoyed that. Um, so when I was looking at kind of what directions I could go after not successfully getting into graduate school and kind of looking at what I would do with my time, I wound up applying to several positions to teach English. And then I wound up just really liking it. Stuck with it. Okay. Okay. To tell the truth, I didn't know this press story, but looks like it's pretty common way for a lot of great teachers to tell the truth when there was not their initial plan, but they came to it because of some life circumstances. Okay, that's cool. If it's not a secret, how old were you when you decided to become a teacher, when it was a conscious decision? When, so I started, I got my first teaching job, like official teaching job when I was about 20. And then when I decided I wanted to stick mm -hmm. with it and kind of turn it into a career, I was probably in my early 20s. I'm going to say 22, 23 years old, something like that. Okay. Okay. You see. Yeah. Maybe that's the right age to make some career choices. Yeah. I'm just trying to project it in Ukrainian reality when you're 15 or 16. At least I was 15 when I graduated school. So it's not the right age. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you've tried almost everything in LT, but today we're going to talk precisely about your experience in teacher training, because I believe that experience can help a lot of teachers to wrap their mind about what they want to do with their careers. Because sometimes it looks a bit overwhelming. ELT, it's kind of buffet. You can choose everything. But on the other hand, it's quite difficult because you don't know where to start with. So talking about this, what do you think? What are some common challenges English teachers face in their professional development? And how do they overcome this challenge? Yes. Yeah, so um, I would really break this down into about three or four different areas. I think the first one... Uh, and the really big one is ego. You know, there's the old joke about like how many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it only takes one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Um, and I think with teachers and professional yeah. development, you see something pretty similar that a lot of teachers, and I, I do see this quite a bit, um, they'll have experience, maybe five, six, 10, 15, 20 years of experience. And they'll think to myself, I'm an experienced professional. I know everything I need to know. Nobody can teach me anything, which is really not true. I mean, I in my line of work in teacher training, um, I've had the privilege of observing something like, I, I counted it the other day, something like over 600 teachers 
Like I've I've personally watched. Well, that's some. I've impressive. personally just watched over. I want to say fifteen hundred hours of people teaching, and I can tell you that the person who got the most out of all of that was me. So. I think, I think that that's the first step is understanding that, you know, maybe I do have something that I can learn from somebody else. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that I can learn from the super duper ultra mega guru. You probably can. But I've learned things from watching people on their first day of teaching. Now, it might be that I've learned something not to do. But sometimes I've actually seen someone with no experience and no background do something and thought to myself, well, huh, that actually worked. Okay. Let me figure out why with my experience and my background and my skill set, and see how I can incorporate that. So that's number one. I think another big issue that lots of teachers have is one of motivation because very often this drawing for professional development comes from someone other than themselves. Like their bosses say, okay, you need to get better at doing this or, okay, you've had a bad observation, so we need to do a training on this, that, and the other. And so if people have this motivation that comes from themselves, it's much easier to get them involved in the process of training. Uh, and this is something that we often see, like as CELTA tutors, we often see this when we work on a CELTA, is that you'll have the people who think, okay, I really want to develop or I want to transition into teaching, I'm really engaged. And then you've also got the people who were hired by their schools conditionally. And it was, yeah, we'll hire you for a year, but in this year, you've got to get a CELTA if you want to renew your contract, which, which happens sometimes. Um, and for these people, they, they do tend to be a bit less motivated because it's not really their decisions. I think this would be thing number two. Mm -hmm. Opportunity, although this is not such a big problem now that everything's available online, back before the pandemic and before COVID, this was a much bigger issue because people had to like go and travel. I remember working on face-to-face -face CELTAs with trainees, working on them in Kiev with trainees from Kazakhstan, from Uzbekistan, from, yeah, wow. from pretty far away places um, who their best opportunity to actually take a CELTA they, they figured was in gear. So, um, and the last one of course is the cost, you know, good professional development is not cheap and cheap professional development is very often not always the best investment of time. It's not to say there are no good affordable courses out there. There absolutely are. Uh, but good professional development is very often something that you do have to invest in. And this can sometimes be a challenge because, you know, we're, we're teachers, we're not bankers. Yeah, right. That's a fair point. Thank you for bringing up all these things because I, I started thinking, I started reflecting in my own experience as a teacher and as an employer as well. And first of all, that thing that you mentioned about face-to-face -face opportunities, actually that was the reason why I was postponing my Salta experience. And to, to, to be honest, I thought that it would be a pretty long way from Kharkiv to Kiev, but now I heard about Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, yeah, and they changed my mind a bit. Right, but um, the pandemic itself, yeah, it provided us with a lot of opportunities. Whatever weird, however weird it might sound, but still. 
Yeah. Talking about motivation, to be honest, over the course of years, I changed my attitude to motivation because I thought that employers should be like super motivating and should push people to do this. But as I shared with you previously, we kind of pay for self-experience of our teachers. And what I realized that it's a bad idea to push people and to say that they need to do this, even though we provide all these opportunities, we pay for this, because still they need to sacrifice a lot of things like their time, time with beloved ones. Sometimes they need to sacrifice a part of their paycheck, right? Because their workload decreases and not everyone is eager to do this. And also, like, if we're talking about real motivation, it's somewhere deep inside and it's intertwined with your inner motives. And your employer just cannot influence your inner motives. So you need to have this why. You need to answer this question why. Okay, uh, so, um, yeah, you already mentioned that you observed a lot of teachers. Yeah, like 50,000 teachers. 15, teachers did you devote to this? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 okay, 1,500. Okay, <laughs> okay, I got it. Uh, but I believe you also observed uh, the way of teachers, yeah, how they developed, right? So um, how do the majority of teachers pave their way to success? What is the most conventional way for teachers that they try to take yeah so really i think this depends a little bit on when we talk about where the teacher is in their process of development because like if we let's say we take someone who has never taught before they've just done their initial TEFL qualification and the self of something like this um what this person is going to need more than anything else is experience supervision like they're going to need to get their hands dirty in the classroom, run into problems, have someone help them sort out their problems. And then after they do this for a few years, they're going to be ready to start branching out in other directions. But they're really going to need that, that experience. I, I think one of the big problems that you see a lot with initial teacher training courses, is like you'll see people who end up getting like, I don't know, a master's degree in education, but have done, you know, relatively very little classroom teaching so they've got all this knowledge in their head but they haven't got the experience to make sense of the information in their head um, it's even one of the reasons why if we talk about like the Celta delta framework why we recommend that people take a few years between you know the, the average person take a few years between Celta and delta because even if you get the information it's not really going to make sense to you yet um but let's say you've got someone who has got a little bit of experience and they're looking at developing a little bit further. Well, there's a few ways they can do this. One could be specializing in something. So, for example, it, throughout my career, I have worked with business English. I've written, designed, taught business English courses, English for specific purposes, exam prep, whatever. But in practice... I really wound up specializing in three areas, and that was exam preparation, teaching higher levels, and teaching kids. Um, like Those are the three things that I can do pretty well. Um, if you give me a business English class, I'm going to be fine, but that's not my area of expertise. Having these specialisms um, often give you this direction to develop in a little bit more, and a lot of these specialisms also make a teacher much more desirable to an employer. For example, like IELTS. Good IELTS teachers are hard to come by, hard to find. And when you've got a good IELTS teacher, 
that person becomes very desirable for a lot, for any school that offers IELTS prep because the exam is so popular. The same thing with Cambridge exams. If you've got someone who specializes in preparing people for Cambridge exams and Cambridge exams are popular where you are, well, that means that you become very employable. The same thing with like teaching kids. So in terms of how we explore specialization, well, one way of doing this is, of course, getting more experience, like asking for these classes, running these types of classes. Uh, you can also look into more specialized qualifications. Um, let's say, for example, you're an English teacher and you really like teaching kids and you think, oh, you know what? I know where the money is in teaching kids. I think the real money in teaching kids is working for an international school. Um, and you want to go abroad somewhere, work for an international school, which can be quite lucrative. Well, in order to do that, you're going to need a PGCE and probably a PGCE, which focuses in either um, primary or secondary teaching, depending on what age you want to work with. That's if you want to work in an international school. If you would rather do something else, then you might need something different. Let's say that you wanted to go into curriculum development um, and you were mostly teaching adults. Well, then in that case, a Delta might be a pretty good option for you because a Delta, especially if you work a lot with, with adults, is going to give you the background and the skills necessary to do things like really design curriculum, design materials, look at assessment. Um, so that could be another way to go, looking at what uh, specializations you would like to, per, uh, to pursue and then looking at what qualifications might be best suited to a person in that position. Um, the other thing could be just looking at a more managerial role. Uh, and this doesn't have to be a big role. You know, lots of schools in their management structure have like senior teachers who is a more experienced teacher who might mentor and guide two or three less experienced teachers, one, two, three less experienced teachers, uh, observe them, watch them. But this is another way of developing more because when you observe another teacher, you also have to reflect on your own practice and you have to reflect on what you view to be good. And so this can be another way to kind of grow and by, by helping others and supporting them. In larger schools or larger organizations, this could even look as like an assistant director of studies position, uh, which is actually how I got my start into management. I was offered um, to be the assistant director of studies in charge of exam preparation. And in all honesty, I was managing a team of teachers who were far more experienced than me. I mostly did the paperwork for them, um, you know, prepared the mock tests. Every I can't say I did much real managing. Uh, in this in this quote unquote managing position, but it gave me more time with the experienced exam teacher, so I could, you know, I had more interface with them. I could see the things that they were doing in their classes, and I learned a lot of tricks from very experienced teachers from, from dealing with, um, from dealing with things like that. Um. So yeah. You could also look at going into curriculum or assessment design. Uh, there are lots of um, publishing companies that hire methodologists like Ultra University Press or Cambridge University Press, the Lingvist in Ukraine, the Lingvist company. Um, this can also be a way forward, especially if you've kind of been in the classroom for a while and you'd like to transition out of the classroom but stay in education, which some people do. Um, 
could also be looking into something like teacher education. If you've got a lot of experience, you want to share this with people. Looking into running and organizing courses for teachers or getting some sort of teacher education or certification or qualification. Something like uh, train the trainer from Cambridge or being certified as a self tutor if you can find a center that will train you up. Or... Um, pursuing something like a PGCE in teacher education or a master's in um, a master's in TEFL with a focus in teacher education. And these sorts of courses do exist. Okay. Thank you very much for such an elaborated answer because I believe it might change the perspective of some people who think about their development. Because right now with the development of social media, um, I have this feeling that a lot of people, they see their development more from the financial side. So I can be a teacher at a language center or a state school, for example. Yeah, I can be an owner of English school because a lot of people who I have interviews with, like what are your, I ask them usually, what are your plans for the future? They want to run their own school. Like, um, haven't been there for more than seven years. I can say that I do recommend this experience. It has its ups and downs. Like it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster. I have to admit it. Yeah, some teachers, they just see that, for example, they cannot make enough money with the language center, so they prefer tutoring. And these three things, it seems to me they're the most popular ones. By no means exclusive, but still, they're the most popular. And you started talking more about um, development from the academic perspective. Um, and you mentioned also the specialization. And you know, on the one hand, it's pretty logical, so you need to specialize in something. But on the other hand, you need to try out a lot of things, right, in order to understand what you want. And it seems to me that in Ukraine, we have this tendency that we kind of feel that we are part of a race rate, and everyone is already there, and you kind of turn a wheel on the oncoming traffic, and you see that everyone has already been there, they achieved something, and now they're coming back with some trophies and credentials. And it's very difficult to overcome this yeah, feeling. Absolutely. So would you recommend to, yeah, to take as many opportunities as possible or just home to figure out what you want without like getting your hands dirty? The you way know. that I approach this for myself, um, and this was hard. I do not recommend this for other people because this was hard. <laughs> okay. Um, at the beginning of my career, I said yes to everything so if i was offered a course that i knew would be challenging i'd never done anything like like it before but i had the opportunity i said yes um and this led to times where you know i was being trained up as a self tutor uh, doing an all-day training as part of that because that's a very intensive process going home in the evening um working on a CELTS course that I was running concurrently, observing their lessons until three o'clock in the morning, and then going to do trainings on the weekend. Like, I don't necessarily recommend this approach, but um, I do think there's something to what you said about having a more generalist approach in addition to specializing in things. Uh, the way that I've always approached this for myself is from the point of view that if I'm the teacher, well, actually, this is true. If I'm an employee or something in any company, I am the solution to a problem. So for myself, I want to be the solution to as many problems as possible. 
that the more problems I have the ability to solve, the better equipped I am to deal with um, what comes up. So there might be a few problems that I'm really good at solving. Uh, but in general, there's a lot of problems that I have the ability to solve, even if it's not my main focus or my main specialization. Like I can still do it. Um, so I think that's absolutely something as well. I think the other thing is talking about this rat race idea. I think that very often I see so many teachers with this kind of, uh, what's this zero sum mentality, like everything's a competition and I'm competing with this teacher for this job, or if I'm in this company, I'm competing with this person because I want to be a senior teacher and they want to be a senior teacher. So if they see what I'm doing, they'll have the advantage and like, when I look at this now as a manager and I see this sort of like infighting type of behavior, I, it really kind of what, what like the kids say, gives me the ick. Um, I, I really kind of don't think this is very healthy because in my experience, there's enough to go around. Um, so rather than saying, look, everyone's so got all these qualifications and everything and I don't whatever. So what can I learn from this person? What can I take from this person that, um, that they do? What can I, maybe I see something that they've done well and I can take that, I can use it in my own teaching, my own classroom. Maybe they've got a way of placement testing their students, which is really convenient. Maybe I, maybe I need to take that for myself. Um, so maybe not looking at it in so much of a competitive sense, but looking at it in the sense of what can I really learn from somebody else. Um, and then I would say the other part of that is being generous. Because what I find is that when I'm generous with others, they are generous with me in return. There are very, very few people I've met. I can actually name names at this point that um, have not reciprocated this, this generosity. They've not given back to the same degree that they were given to. Um, so while these people do exist, they're few and far between, and this reputation often catches up with them. Um, they, they do kind of get this reputation of being someone who's difficult to work with or selfish or something like this. So, you know, maybe not such competitive view on things could be helpful. Yeah, that's very healthy and mature approach. And I think sometimes it, it takes some time in order to get the idea of this. Yeah, because like the, the idea of competition, it seems to me it's ingrained in our society, in our mentality. But yeah, yeah, that's that's a good one. And especially the thing that you mentioned about people who are generous in return. You know, in management, I learned such a good thing that uh, you shouldn't punish all people for something that only 10% can do. Because in general, people are pretty good. They're good natured. Yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. So since we started talking about like Celta Delta experience, you mentioned it several times. Uh, let's dive a little bit deeper. So what are the ways to develop professionally? Something that comes to my mind, certifications like Celta Delta. You already mentioned supervision today. Yes, so I can say some kind of mentoring, observation, expanding the skill set of a teacher. Maybe there is something else that I often... In terms of ways to develop i mean that's what i would 
I would focus on either focusing on diving more into a topic area or an area of expertise. And this doesn't necessarily mean getting a qualification in it, although it might. Um, this could absolutely be one. But I would recommend going for certifications that are going to solve problems that you've got, not necessarily collecting things to hang on the wall. Um, so this could be, I mean, and this could be a variety of things. Like right now for myself, um, I'm looking at doing some professional development for myself. Because it's been a couple of years since I've done anything for me. I work a lot on training courses for other people, but it's been a while since I've done something for myself. But I'm not really interested in doing something that I've done a hundred times. So I, you know, researched a center and I found uh, a course that looks absolutely brilliant on um, curriculum and curriculum and materials design. Okay, that's interesting. Like I've. I've never, I mean, it's been a long time since I've had any training on my curriculum design because, or materials design because I mind, I was taught materials design as part of the CELTA. I kind of revisited it a little bit on the Delta, but it was more from the point of view of like methodology and how it's kind of tied in with learning. But looking at there's so many other issues to dive into with curriculum design that to me that that looks interesting so that could be one way of going about it's kind of look at the problems of the interests that you've got and maybe look for courses or pursue courses with this you know maybe you teach a lot of kids and you're not super comfortable with it well maybe look at a certification like the Tylac, um which is a certification in teaching kids uh, maybe you teach kids and you want to get into teaching adults. Well, a TEPL certificate or a CELTA is a great way to get into that. Um, or it's going to have to be getting experience in some way. Um, experience in different situations, experience in different types of classes. Um, and you might see that, well, just be open to the opportunities of different kinds of experience. You find a direction that you want to go to. That was actually my experience with um, writing the, the with uh, materials writing, that when I was originally offered the, the role, it was because someone had backed out, there was something, it was an emergency, which was the only way I got my foot in the door because they were desperate. I'm pretty sure like they really, like, if they were knocking on my door, it meant there were like <laughs> no other options. Um, so, I had zero confidence I could do it well. I was just kind of promised, like, don't worry, I'll help you. So, okay, fine. Like, I'll, I'll give it my best shot. We, we wound up doing pretty well. I kind of look back at what we did. And for a first, from my first go, I think it was pretty good. And even looking back on it now, there's, are there things that in hindsight, I would say I could do better? Yes. But just being open to the opportunity showed me that, the other thing he showed me was that, well, this is actually something I enjoy. I enjoy making curriculum. I enjoy writing the materials for other people. And this is something that a skill that in my current position came back around because in my current position, I write a lot of curriculum because we've got different courses that we do. We've got different materials. Some courses have no set materials. 
some things have to be significantly adapted. So I spent a lot of my time making materials for this, the school where I currently work. And so this, this skill kind of has come back around later, even though I'm not working in a materials writing position, I still need this now. So be open to these opportunities because you never know when the skill is going to come around and, and be necessary. And if you've already got the skill, then great. Yeah, so nothing happens without a reason. Yeah, and if you challenge yourself to all the opportunities that you have, like it can pay off down the line. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And still, like you mentioned supervision before, right? So if we're talking about the supervision, so who is responsible for this? Does the teacher need to find a person who they want to be supervised by? Is the school responsible for this? And they're supposed to build the ecosystem that way that the teacher should be provided with enough supervision. So where to look right. for? So I have worked in schools that have various systems of doing this. And I've seen schools that would assign a mentor to new hirees. And so the mentor would be a senior teacher whose kind of job was to be the helper for that person. Uh, I've seen this work really well. Um, especially because the mentor often had no direct authority over their mentee. So that is to say that the person who would do their performance observations was different from the person who was observing them as their mentor. And I think this was really, really important because um, when it's your line manager, supervisor, director, students, whatever, observing you, there's always that little fear of like, okay, my job is kind of, sort of at stake here. Like, I know even if we've got a good relationship and I know my boss, whatever, I might get a little bit nervous because I know that, okay, what I'm about to do might have an effect down the line. If this person has no impact on me, it becomes very low stakes. The only thing that can get damaged is my ego, which for some people is a tragedy, but most of us survive. Um, and I find that people are much more willing to ask for help and admit that they don't know something to someone who does not have any like managerial authority to them. Even my team now, um, that we've got a very good relationship with, with most of the people on the team and still I noticed that because I'm the manager, they, they don't always feel comfortable coming to me and saying they don't know something. Even if it's something that's completely reasonable not to know, they might ask somebody else before they ask me. I think that's normal. Um, so that would be thing number one that I, I've seen work really well. Um, having this mentor-mentee kind of relationship. Uh, but from the other side, uh, it's also important for the manager to have some sort of standard that they are holding the program that they work into. Now, this does not necessarily have to mean the quote-unquote CELTA standard, which I don't believe really exists anyways, but that's the whole other kettle of fish that we can talk about. Um, but it's just a set of guidelines and standards that you as a manager believe that your program should run by. So for example, in the program where I work, we actually don't prescribe specific methodologies to, to the teachers, but we do insist that certain things happen. 
like that the student should have enough practice of length the students should have enough opportunities to engage with the lesson that the teachers communication with the students should be clear and understandable at all times including like teacher talk conveying meaning everything like that so there are not there's not there's a million ways that the teachers can achieve these criteria but we do have standards set in place that the teachers do need to achieve so that i guess that would be the two sides of it is yeah. can you something that's a bit more bottom up if you want to say something a bit more organic and then something top down to make sure that well, there is a little bit of quality control, motivation, and supervision because managers do have to manage, even though that's the thing they like doing next. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting because I had a totally different experience with language centers where I worked. So they were built and managed in a totally different way from something that you mentioned. And I believe if we're talking about huge chain schools, which are kind of popular in Ukraine, they try to have like very standardized course it's kind of it's not a lesson plan it's a script that you are supposed to deliver at the lesson and you need to follow it to a t uh yeah kind of and to be honest when i was uh, like trying to open school i was opening my school uh taking into account my background and my experience i tried to do something similar and only after years, I realized that, yeah, there can actually be different ways how to achieve the goal, the, the final destination. But you need to invest more, not into marketing, but into qualification of teachers. So you're pretty sure that they can achieve this goal in the best way possible. So they can make and the I'm most Just to add on to that point, I think mm -hmm. that trusting the teachers to have a bit more responsibility for what goes on in their classroom, because if, if you hand them a curriculum. I mean, there are times when, like, handing them a set of materials and lesson plans and everything is fine. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But also trusting the teachers to make their own decisions what to do with that. It's the same like you give them a course book and a teacher's book. What is that except for a collection of materials and a collection of lesson plans? But trusting them to make their own decisions uh, in the lesson in terms of their teaching but then also having them bear the responsibility for those decisions. And I think that's also going back to what we were talking about, a big driver to get them to develop because now they've got responsibility for what happens in their classroom. It's not something which is, um, they're not being told to do something by their management. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with this because Again, looking back at my own experience when I was pretty set in my ways and I was requiring something like this, something similar from my teachers, uh, they were not really interested like in reading more because still we have a script, so why we need to learn something more? And I believe it's also one of the most common reasons of burnout among teachers because you follow the same script all the time. Like at first school where I worked, we had a term of six weeks and we had like 10, maybe six terms in a year with the same script all over again. And some teachers have been working there for 10 years. That's that's crazy, you know, with the same script yeah. 10 years. There is a upside to that. I mean, okay. because, for example, mm -hmm. like having a set curriculum, like one of the ways that teachers and methodologies infiltrate classrooms is via materials. Like if we look at something like the lexical approach, 
Um, well, this became very popular in, in Ukraine quite recently over the last few years. And this is in large part due to the popularity of the Outcomes series of course books for adults. Because what were they based on? Um, so you see these, these kind of terms cropping up. But really, for a lot of people, their first introduction to the lexical approach was not in the literature and the books from the 90s that Michael Lewis wrote on the topic, but it was in teaching course books like Focus, Outcomes, and Roadmap that are based on or influenced by this, this approach. So it, having a curriculum is not necessarily a bad thing, but the teachers need to be trusted to do with that curriculum what their experience and knowledge tells them to do with. Yeah, so can I put it this way? We need to provide teachers with the guidelines, with particular guidelines, but they need to have room for creativity. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Since you brought up lexical approach, um, actually, yeah. Uh, recently, I enrolled in the course from uh, Lexical Lab, and it was pretty interesting because I'm going to take a course on the lexical approach, so I wanted first to become a student and to see how it works. It was pretty nice, I have to say, in terms of uh, mental lexicon development and a lot of other things. And of course, we were engaged in the conversations with our teachers, and they were... I can't say that they were pretty negative about some Cambridge qualifications. Yeah, I don't wanted to put it that way, but they were questioning. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. But they were like questioning some things. Yeah. So, um, because of this, I started thinking it myself and I want to ask you this question. So do you think that CELTA is a must for teachers? I, so you're going to get a really long answer to a really short question. Um, <laughs> Okay. I personally view the CELTA in the same way that I view the iPhone. What do I mean by this? Um, there are loads of different cell phones in the world that you can buy. Uh, some of them are better than iPhones. Absolutely. Some of them are brilliant and they'll be twice as good as an iPhone and it'll be half the price. But if I go for an iPhone, I know I'm getting something good. I personally view the Celta and the Delta in the same way. And that comes from my experience both doing them and working on. I do understand the criticism. Um, and I'm actually really happy to talk about those criticisms because I think this is a big part of like people hear these criticisms and they they don't know what to make of them, especially if they've not done a Celta or a Delta. And so, I mean, that that's my view on it, is that you kind of know you're going to get something which is going to be of a good quality. You know that you're going to have assessed teaching practice, which is not something that all type of qualifications have. You roughly know what people are going to be taught on these courses, which is, again, um, a bit of standardization. Like, if I see someone who's done a CELTA, I, I kind of have an idea of at least what a minimum skill set they have. Whereas if someone's done... A 120-hour course from I love Tefl dot com or gov whatever that I have no idea what skill set they. Uh, I don't even know if they've been assessed as a teacher. I don't know if they've had to teach a single day on that course. So that could be one thing. The other thing is well that the, the tutors themselves have to go through rigorous training, like 
in order to be a Celta tutor, for example, you have to have a minimum Delta and or masters in teaching experience teaching in multiple contexts. Um, and you've got to undergo a one month minimum, um, apprenticeship where you actually have to shadow a tutor and do everything they do under their supervision and then be approved by a CELTA assessor. Like it's a massive process. When I was doing it, I had like two five centimeter binders full of paper that I filled up that the poor assessor had to read through. Like, so that that's one of the reasons that I think that, well, it, it is very comparable in many ways to an iPhone in that you, you know you're going to get something quality. It may not be the best thing out there and it may not be perfect, but you know you're going to get something really good. Now, are there certain criticisms of the self that absolute? Like, I know that one criticism that gets brought up, um, I it brought by the guy you're talking about, I think, uh, is that uh, it's like they <laughs> when it comes to teaching something like skills. Let's give a really practical example. That. On the CELTA, there's a big focus in teaching skills development, working in things like, if we take reading just as an example, things like skimming, scanning, basic reading strategies, things like that. Helping people to learn by teaching strategies for reading. Um, there is a criticism that gets put on the CELTA course that, well, that's not all that people need to help them read, though. Like, it's more than just setting a GIST reading question and hoping that the students will magically get better at reading for GIST. We need to teach them how to do this. That they also, there's a big vocabulary component to reading. So we need to make sure that they've got, you know, access to vocabulary and that they know this massive amount of vocabulary. There's the ability to work out meaning from context, which is largely dependent on how much, um, how much vocabulary you know. Like if you don't know 90% of the words in the text, it's hard to work out the other 10. And that's not a random number. That's the number that's been found in the research. Um, things like the arguments, well, some people debate on does reading aloud in your head help you read? Because some people argue that sub-vocalizing the words, especially if your listening is stronger than your reading, might be helpful for you. If it's not, then it's not. Uh, I, one of the things that I, I think is worth noting is that, like, if you talk about this with any Celtitude, they're going to say everything that I've just said. Like, they're going to say, yeah, we know. So why then does the course have this problem? Well, if you look at different contexts for teaching, this is a big part. Like, if I'm running a Celta course with Ukrainian trainees, right, uh, I know if I've got, I'm going to have 12 people, probably most of them in their... 20s, early, mid, late 20s, all of whom graduated from linguistics universities, um, from good linguistics universities with strong backgrounds in linguistics and education, which means that they know about grammar and they know about vocab and they learned phonology. Many of them had to write papers on discourse and things like that. But the thing that they may not have been exposed to during all of this education is the role of cognition and cognitive strategy use in skills development. So for this group of people, they can take the skills that they already have, teaching the, the system, the, the grammar, vocab, whatever that's involved with it, they can put the strategies with it and boom, you've got kind of a successful language teacher. 
if you look at native speakers, and I'm using this term in quotes, I mean, people who grow up, let's say, not with a linguistics background, their um, art history or failed anthropology majors who are transitioning into teaching, um, <laughs> who may not have this background in linguistics, but for them, this idea of skills and strategies and everything, it's going to fit very neatly with the way that many of them view language because many of them look at language. And this is in my experience, uh, not talking about myself at this point, working with teachers with this background, they often view language in this very um, practical sense. Like they want to teach the students to use language, not focus on stupid grammar rules. I don't know if you've heard that from any teachers before, but I certainly have. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. So for them, they gravitate to this, like you teach them strategies and they go, yeah, cool. I know what to do with that. Yeah. Getting these same teachers to focus on the underlying systems, that takes a lot of work. A, because you've got to build their awareness of the systems, which they may not have. Um, you know, the amount of times that I've had someone tell me that like the word boring was present continuous uh is truly astounding um so they may not have this awareness or this background even if they do this bit that they need to develop the underlying language system might be the revolutionary bit of information so if for the ukrainian trainee the hypothetical ukrainian trainee the fact that we need to develop skills like with strategies is the new revolutionary information for the trainee from the UK, it could be the opposite. So part of when we talk about like CELTA teaches this, and there's a lot of kind of context dependent stuff from knowing who your audience is and, and maybe what things they might do naturally and what things they might not do naturally to help them. So yeah. Uh, there are definitely criticisms that we can all lobby. And I think you'll find that no one is more critical of the CELTA cores than the tutors themselves. It's people. Yeah. Oh, okay. But we all still believe in it. Uh, mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah, as I understand, CELTA cores is very standardized, right? Yeah. And does it mean that it's the same in every country because like taking into account that I took CELTA and my teachers took CELTA we kind of took it at the same center but with different tutors but definitely we took a peek at the materials so we saw that materials were the same even the examples very often were the same in the same center that's pretty common and you just mentioned uh, yeah, uh -huh. yeah yeah but it, it's not a part of criticism I just wanted to develop like your previous uh, speech yeah elaborated speech about the thing that you need to Pay attention to different things as a salt tutor. So, um, if the materials are so standardized, uh, does it mean that, like, salt tutors give make different accent during like feedback when they work with different representatives of different countries? So basically, yeah? what I think okay. one of the big misconceptions okay. about mm -hmm. about the the course in general is like people say like CELTA teaches this. Well, no, it does. Um, what the CELTA has is a list of 40-something criteria. I want to say 48, but I could be wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, but all of the criteria are like 
things that the teacher should be able to do, but it's things like, can the teacher grade their language appropriately and communicate in a way that students can understand? Well, okay, there's a lot of different ways that I can make myself understandable to my students. Uh, there's a load of different ways I can do that. Or that, for example, that the teacher should be able to clarify meaning, form, and pronunciation to an appropriate depth yeah, when they need to. Well, okay, yeah, but there, how many different ways are there to clarify meaning? So what we look at, and I mean, from the self-tutor's perspective, what we look at in this case is what is the teacher trying to do in their lesson? Like, what is their aim? What's the outcome of their lesson? And how can we help them fulfill the criteria and what techniques do we know to help them do this? Now, there are techniques that are higher percentage than others. What do I mean by higher percentage? I mean, they work a larger percent of the time for a larger percent of situations. So, for example, if we talk about, let's say, making your instructions clear, um, a pretty high percentage solution for making your instructions clear is asking some questions at the end of your instructions to make sure that the students got what to do. Like, so, you know, do you need to write anything yet? Um, even, even things like, depending on how attended your group is, even checking that they know what exercise they're on. Um, on the other hand, I was setting up yeah. a mill, just a practical example, yesterday, day before yesterday, I was setting up a mill drill. So simple activity, the kids um, had... Uh, problems. One of them would take a card, read out the problem. The others would take a phrase. They had to give advice using the phrase. Uh, the person who read the problem was the winner. Um, I can give the instructions like that to teachers. That's fine. I promise you my B1 group of teenage boys, it was not quite so easy. So we had a much more involved way of doing the instructions where we had a demo with one student and we had a demo with another student. And then we that I elicited the instructions from them and I had them written on the board and I'd reveal them as we went. That's um, it's overkill 99% of the time. But like, I knew if I didn't do it for this activity, it wasn't going to work and I was going to have, you know, chaos. And so I think that's the other thing is that, well, it, it may seem very standardized because a lot of these high percentage solutions or things that work most of the time are part of the priority and considering that you know celta tutors the people who work on these courses do have loads of experience they've all got advanced qualifications they've seen it if they all kind of know that well it's not so much that the course is standardized although it is um to a large degree there are certain things we have to include there's certain things we have to teach but like what I mean by that is like we have to teach on the CELTA, one of the things we have to teach is how to develop literacy. It's a, it's one of the few things that's like explicitly stated that we have to do. But how exactly we teach to develop literacy is up to the tutor. So if we want to say whole word approach, phonics, combination, the activities that we want to use to help people learn how to write scripts, how do we want to do that? we're given responsibility as tutors to be able to do that. Our work is just checked by the assessment, basically. Okay. 
uh, to be honest, I don't see the problem like in the fact that the course is standardized. Like I brought it up, but I think it's totally fine because um, something that I pretty often hear at job interviews from newbie teachers, uh, they don't think that they're newbie teachers, but, but still like, like creativity, the most important because you need to build up the rapport with your students and so on. First, you need to learn the ropes. Well, and when you know the basics, it's much easier to to be creative because you understand why you do this. Sometimes it happens that we do something just because it is interactive. I remember your example from the CELTA course. And to tell the truth, I also uh, try to use sometimes this metaphor. Like a lot of people opt for a Kahoot, but Kahoot is just a handout. And sometimes you have some technical problems, so it's better to give them the handout. Rather than those, I've got a teacher who is relatively inexperienced. He's been in the classroom for about a year total, so like really fresh, and uh, gets on really well with the students. He's great with kids. Gets on really well with them. It's a wonderful relationship with with all of his kids, uh, and he loves bringing all these games and everything. And they're so creative. Like I could never. I, I just watch the games. I'm going, like, I don't even understand how this works. And like all the kids are doing it perfectly, <laughs> exactly how he wants. I'm still trying to figure out what's going on. But there is a point, I mean, to, to your point, there's a point where you do start to wonder, like, maybe this is taking over the learning that's happening. Like maybe the creativity's getting in the way of the students actually learning more. It's not to say that things shouldn't be fun, but, you know, Maybe we need to keep the focus. We need to learn how to strike this balance, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, I got it. And uh, you mentioned that CELTA is kind of an iPhone, yeah. right? So what is Samsung in the world of ALT in there this case? There are courses that are high quality. There's um, the lesser known ones that are a bit harder to find. This the Trinity College courses. I always forget what they're called, but they're very close. It's like the CERT TEFL, DIP TEFL, something like that. Um, they're basically an analog to the Celta and the Delta. Uh, I've heard very good things about them. I don't think I know anyone who's actually done them. I do know someone who's done the Trinity College YL certification. Um, and she was very, very pleased with it. And I saw the results in her classroom after she did it. She's an amazing YL teacher. Uh, absolutely amazing after that. So that's one way to go. There are organizations that offer trainings and qualifications like um, Bell uh, offers quite a few. They're very famous for, for offering them. Nile as well, which I've heard very good things about. I'm actually planning to do a course with them myself. Um, there's options if you look at centers that really depending on what you're looking for. If you're looking at and smaller qualifications, um, great. And Kiev has just launched a great university where they've got all these kind of self-study programs that are quite affordable that you can work through at your own pace. I've, I've done a bit of work for them on this myself. I think it's a really good project. Um, there's lots of short courses as well, things like um, ITDI's course with uh, Scott Thornbury on... Um, Dogma teaching, you've mentioned Lexical Lab. Um, Lexical Lab, is, I've heard very good things about their courses. There's Rachel Paling's Neuro Language Coaching, which I've heard interesting things about, and I, I'm very curious about. So I'm, I'm, I'm considering doing out of my own curiosity to satisfy it, but um, I, I can't say that I endorse it or not. I've just heard very interesting things about it. 
Um, in in terms of an initial qualification, what I would look, because there are other organizations like this, what, Tepl.org, there's a few others. I would look for a qualification that has assessed teaching. And this is, if you're recommending that someone get an initial TEPL qualification, I think that would be number one thing is there's got to be assessed teaching on the course. Because if I'm interviewing a teacher for a position and I see they've got TEPL qualification from da 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 da, I'm going to ask them, were you assessed? Like, did you have to do the any answer practical is teaching no. on the course? And they've got no work experience, interviews over. Like, full stop, interviews over, I'm not interested. Because you, you can only learn to be in the classroom by being a part of it. And again, going back to like, why is it sold to the iPhone? It's got so much assessed teaching that, well, okay, it's kind of like, I know this person's at least stepped foot in a classroom before. Great. And um, so if you're looking for a Samsung or something like that, uh, or you're looking to kind of not do a Celta or a Cambridge qualification, but get some professional development, I would make sure that there is, if it's an initial qualification, there's some sort of live or recorded observed teaching uh if it's relevant to the qualification i mean obviously like if you're doing a qualification in assessment design you're not going to be observed teaching but if it's relevant to the qualification i'd look for that yeah that that's a solid point because what first of all according to my experience uh when i was having my first job i took to Seoul, but i didn't have to tell the truth any assessed teaching even though it was still valuable because we didn't have any development at school where I worked. So I just thought things in a totally different perspective. And I was pretty surprised that actually we need to teach reading because we never did this in that school, you know. Um, just what I see, uh, there are a lot of people who would like to come into the world of ELT and they keep asking these questions. What should I start with? And I see a lot of mostly my source of information is Instagram when it comes to ELT community, a lot of people start giving the list of books. But to be honest, when I was reading these books before Celta experience, before preparing to TKT my first years, I didn't get that much from this book. It's not like I was stupid or something like this. I mean, it was pretty difficult to bring it into the classroom where you're supposed to follow some guidelines and to understand what to do with it. So. What would be your yeah? What would be your recommendation to people who would like to come to the world of AT, but they are not ready to start with Celta because it it's pretty pricey, right? And you need to devote a lot of time to this. Um, so I'm going to give the short answer, and I'm actually going to explain my reasoning, which is also going to explain why you had this problem with reading the books because I actually experienced the same. Um, fun fact about me in university, I failed my psychology classes in university. I failed my first one. I passed all the others. And one of the things that I use the most at my current job is child psychology. So how does this happen, <laughs> right? How do, how do you go from like failing your psych classes to like needing a rather detailed understanding of child psych? Cause I work almost exclusively at the moment with young learners. Um, so I think the first thing is getting that bit of experience. Um, so if we compare this like with 
uh, what we can even just, just talk about in terms of teaching. Maybe don't jump into the career. Don't think you've got to be the professional athlete from the beginning. Maybe start with tutoring a couple of people. Teach your friends. Get together and organize an English night with your friends once a week. Teach, you've got to, if you've got a friend whose kid studies English in school, they want to practice. Well, just go practice English with them for a little bit. Don't, don't take it very seriously. Get your feet wet. Give it a try. Uh, and then as you get a bit more experience and you start working with a bit more, maybe take a course book and start working three with a student or two. Um, find the course book that fits their level. Uh, if you're not sure, find out what other course books they've used in the past and stick one, you know, grab one of that level. Start working through it with them. Start trying to well, read the teacher's notes. See what they recommend. A good book is going to have decent teacher's notes, although I can count books with good teacher's notes on my hands. So. But it's going to be better than nothing, especially if you're starting out. You don't need a Rolls Royce. You don't need a Bentley. You need something. Um, once you've got a bit of that experience under your belt, you might start kind of tutoring, working with a few more people. And if you decide that it's something you like, and if you decide that's the direction you want to go, you might look into getting a formal qualification. But by that point, you might have decided that splashing out for a good qualification is worth it. So, um, the reason that I would suggest getting this experience first, there's a theory of learning called uh, the interface hypothesis, which I'm quite fond of. Uh, all the interface hypothesis says is that our experience, I'm vastly simplifying, our experience helps us to interpret theories, which helps us to improve our experience, which helps us to interpret theories, and it goes in a cycle. Um, so going back to me, why did I fail my psych classes, but I use child psychology every day now? Um, you know, we just finished redesigning a classroom management system at our school that, uh, is entirely based on classical conditioning and Skinner boxes. And I failed this unit in university psychology, like, because while experience of working with the kids helped me understand what motivated them, helped me understand what stimuli they needed so I could translate that and implement it. And that now it all makes sense. I've got the experience to make sense of the theory. Um, so that's the first thing that I would say. And that's why when you see all these books of like how to get started, yes, there are fundamental books that really help, like learning teaching, practice of teaching English, you know, these really um, by, by uh, Scrivener and Harbor, respectively, um, that are good. But really, you're going to need to be in the classroom for a bit of that. You have to try things out, and you're going to have to make mistakes. That's fine. Uh, you probably don't want to charge the first couple of people you work with, and it'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. Definitely a fair point. And, you know, even reflecting my salt experience, I cannot say that I got some new information from input sessions. Sorry, maybe no, I shouldn't say that. Well, but for an th that's the, the fact, right? Yeah, but uh, like the biggest like takeaway from the Celtic course was from the experience and the feedback of tutors. And the thing is that um, some teachers, like in my group, uh, they were worrying about the fact that they were not they were not given new information. So 
they felt like they paid for the course, right? But there is no new information. But right now, preparing for Delta, I changed my perspective on it. Um, because really, when you start reading the book, and the book consists of 90% of new information for you, something that you didn't try on, like it's very hard to read, to understand, and you want to yeah. give up. And uh, yeah, so I, I got around recently to reading like George Orwell, 1984. I didn't do this before, and I kind of regret that I didn't do this before. But there was such a good point. I can't really cite it word by word. But there was such a phrase that I do enjoy reading the books, uh, which I know what's written in there. Even though I understand, I can come up with this information on my own. Maybe it will take me a little bit more time, but I do enjoy reading this. And I realized that that's actually the point, because you kind of find confirmation and you have a chance to reflect on this one more time and feel more confident and maybe to elaborate. The other thing too is, like, so, if we take, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. not going to name names. But I was in a conference mm -hmm. session of a very well-respected teacher in Ukraine, a very popular teacher who markets themselves as a teacher trainer. Um, and we get to this point where she's showing, she wants to demonstrate the importance of uh, an exam prep. Uh, they were working with, I believe, short texts, like um, if you're familiar with Cambridge exams, like the... Um, multiple choice clause activities where they're given a paragraph and you pick the right words, or it might've been open clause where they just need to write the word short text, the importance of getting them to read it for general comprehension first, uh, the thought process being that they need to read the text first to ensure they've read all of it and have the sense of the whole thing before they start answering questions. So they can kind of avoid the distractors A very valid point, very good point to make. So she goes up to the in the session and uh says okay so first you're going to read for gist so everyone you've got two minutes read for gist which is something that if you do want to sell the course your tutor's going to throw a cherry um because it's like okay well how are you helping and even if we get through let's say let's leave standards and norms and everything aside but that's also all sorts of questions how are you helping them read for gist? How are you going to check that they read for gist? Are you going to make them like retell the main idea to you? How have you helped them to find the main idea? Like, how have you scaffolded this skill for them? And it could just be a matter of setting one or two simple questions to guide them and tell them what to pay attention to. Not necessarily a complicated thing, but there needs to be this step there somewhere. So this is a case where someone clearly knew the theory of I need to get them to read for gist first and in all fairness in the sequence she was giving that was a very good thing to do but she was missing this practical point of actually incorporating it and helping scaffold and break down the process of read for gist that she would get via feedback and something like that so going back to why I was saying like Look for a course that gives you assessed teaching, especially if it's an initial qualification. Um, or even if you want something that's a bit more general in your development, that the, like, if we look at the CELTA, the CELTA is an entry-level qualification for teachers. It is not supposed to be like a teaching black belt. It is supposed to be a teaching white belt. Um, but the fact 
that we have the observed teaching means that we can give feedback where you are at. So if you're at step one, we can give you the feedback to get you to hopefully step two. But if you're at step 10, we can hopefully give you the feedback to get you to step 11. Uh, and any course that has observed teaching should help you to do that. Okay. Yeah, that, that's a solid point as usual. Yeah, I would agree. And since you started talking about teacher training and teacher trainers, um, right now it's very popular sphere of ELT in Ukraine, again, uh, because I'm kind of familiar with the realities in Ukraine, but I believe in some other countries as well. But still, I'm pretty sure that it's developing much faster than in other countries somehow. Like, it's pretty good business. And... Um, yeah, it's such an, a bit uncomfortable question because I believe someone is going to listen to us who can be categorized as this type of person. So it's pretty popular to take CELTA course and start organizing your own courses for teacher training. And very often for me, it's kind of reselling CELTA experience, what they got, um, which I have like controversial attitude to this because uh, on the one hand, maybe it's better, like, we still make the world a better place, right? So we share our knowledge, yeah? On the other hand, it's just, like, reselling. So I just want to make my money worse. What's your attitude to this? How hot and a hot take do you want on this? No, um, so I do have my reservations about it, and but they're, they're not probably the reservations that you think they're. Um, so basically, if I think about this situation, in my mind, um, I see a couple of potential problems with this. One, the amount of training that a CELTA trainer goes through to be able to work on a CELTA is massive. It is massive. So you have to have a Delta minimum. You've got to do the training up process, which is a minimum of shadow in one course, although very often more. You've got to produce, you know, tons of work. You've got to show that you can design the materials for the course, that you can get appropriate feedback. And this is checked by the assessors. And this is continually checked by the assessors every time you run a course. And this is all just to be an assistant tutor. To be a head tutor, there are even more requirements that you've got to that you've got to go through. So, I there is part of me that has some doubt as to someone who's maybe experienced the course one time, they finished with a respectable mark, um, but packaging it and kind of saying, okay, this is what CELTA teaches. Um, and I think that's where I would have a problem with it because it's like, well... Maybe, but are you, you know, are, are the hypothetical you, is, is this the best person to be, to be giving this? Like, as opposed to someone who's done 25 selfless and, you know, and has extensive background and observing and everything. And because the other thing is that, well, maybe that's what they learned on their self. Um, but the Celta might teach lots of different things and maybe you know, maybe they learned one solution to a problem on their course. Maybe they're tutoring nine solutions to that problem. 
It just so happened that that one solution was the one that worked best for them. Now, on the other hand, if someone's marketing, this is, this is what I learned, I've got a problem with this because that's, that's from a very different perspective. I could say, this is what I learned when I did a sales. Cool. Great. No problem. Because now it's not like this general sweeping statement of like, I am now giving salsa to you because I've done. Um, but I think we also need to bear in mind the, the role of the audience. So I give a really good example with this. Um, and I'm not going to relate to teaching. I'm going to relate it to my hobbies. So my, my hobby is um, boxing, kickboxing, Thai boxing. I've been doing it since I was a teenager. I absolutely love it. Uh, I've been doing it with breaks for a total of, well, I started when I was 15, 16. I turned 30 this year. So about eight, nine years when you factor in the different breaks because of injuries, life changes, things like that. Um, if I, well, here, here in Bangkok, um, there are like super high level kickboxers. I cannot claim to go take someone, tra like if someone's getting ready to go fight in the stadium in Thailand, I have no business training this person. I, I, I'm not, there are professionals who are specialists, who are like hyper experts who will do this. I have no business being in this room. But. If I'm working with my friends or with people who have been doing it for a year or two years or even three, four years, and I've got some ideas that could help them develop and they, they're running into some problems that I've had before and that I fix, well, why not? I can be an effective teacher for this person. I just need to be one step in front of them to teach them. I don't need to be a thousand steps in front of them to teach them. So... You know, there is a little bit of what's your audience and what's your purpose. If you're talking to your colleagues or you're talking to a group of teachers who you get on with and you say, okay, look, there's this problem that I encountered. Here's a solution that I learned to this problem and I want to share this with you. Great. Like I said before, we all get better and everyone getting better makes everyone get better. Like wonderful. Uh, I think where it becomes a bit disingenuous is when people start marketing this as learn the learn like do the celta without doing the celta and do the celta without paying cambridge that's where i do have some some big problems with it because a in order to deliver a celta i put in the time like everyone who works and like we all put in lots of time and hard work that these people have not done um or else they would be celta tutors uh, and, and the second is that, well, it's like, it might be what, what they learned on the Celta, but that might not be a, what they were taught. They might have learned it a bit differently than they were taught. And this could be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, and the second could be that, well, it kind of makes it sound like here's a checklist of things that you'll learn if you take a CELTA. Whereas like, okay, yeah, here's a checklist of things that are taught on the CELTA. Hopefully, in terms of your learning, we're going to be able to personalize this a bit to you. So, I mean, it just depends on what's the goal, what's the outcome. Yeah, interesting. Definitely something that you mentioned that your reservations were going a little bit different way that I expected. Yeah, it, it might be true. Yeah. Uh, still, something that we mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that Celta can be pricey, but still it's better to 
like to, to, to save up some money. And when you're ready to understand that you're ready to invest like time and money, it's better to do this. But again, there are a lot of teacher trainers right now. So what would you recommend if you can do this uh, to look for? I mean, the qualifications that these teacher trainers have, like CELTA, DELTA. I'm, I would look for qualifications, definitely. I would want to see that someone has, let's say, an advanced qualification in the thing that they're, um, which I think is fair. Like if you're, you know, if, if you were a doctor and you wanted to learn how to become a heart surgeon, you would probably want to learn from someone who was an accredited heart surgeon. Like that's like, uh, you probably wouldn't want to learn from someone who was an accredited, I don't know, gastroenterologist. Like they're probably not going to be great at heart surgery, even if they're offering training courses and how to do heart surgery. So that would be, that would be one thing is I definitely look for some sort of advanced qualification whenever they're teaching. Silta and Delta are good examples. Um, they could have others like PGCEs or good, good qualifications, you know, could be a master's from a good university. Yeah. Um, or the other thing would be someone with significant experience in dealing with this, someone who's got some accomplishments in this field. Um, like for example, IDI, TDI, um, runs a course in dogma teaching with Scott Thornberry. Well, Scott's done things. Like he's, he's a guru for a reason. Like he's written on more topics than most people will ever. He, he, he's a walking encyclopedia of knowledge. Um, and it's no coincidence that like his approach that he's now most famous, or I think best known for in some circles is all based on being able to pull a rabbit out of your hat, figuratively speaking, because the man's got a lot of animals he can pull out of a hat. Um, look for people who have some accomplishments, like, for example, um, brilliant YL trainer, Chris Rowland, works out of Spain. Brilliant YL trainer. Um, he's worked with kids for ages. He's got lots of experience, but he's also, I believe, a trainer on the Trinity Diptafel and a couple of other things that like he's also got some accomplishments, you know? Um, so I think if you're looking for a trainer to do a course from, I would, I would look for someone who has some accomplishments or some accreditations in some way. It doesn't mean that if you haven't got these, that you can't be an effective trainer. Um, but it means that if you feel like you're an effective trainer, and you want to be taken seriously, I would recommend that you get these qualifications or get this kind of start putting accomplishments down. I think there's a lot of people who fall into that, that they do have a voice and things to say that people need to hear. Uh, so for these people who are kind of ready to reach the scapula, you know, the people who could be potential Delta trainers or Delta trainers or whatever, maybe look into getting this real kind of certification and experience that people can take you seriously because um it's otherwise it's going to be very hard to sort you out from the people who maybe think they have a lot more to say than they really do um that would be that would be thing number one um and in terms of finding 
if not that, that I think going through centers that have good reputation, you know, um, International House World has a very good reputation, which they've earned over the years, you know, and um, centers like um, ITDI has a very good reputation, things like, um, you know, it, it, this is if we look at places outside of Ukraine. Um, outside of Ukraine, there's Bell, there's Nile. Um, within Ukraine, there are several centers, including Grade, which have very good reputations, which they worked very hard to earn. So, I mean, there's also what Teachers for Teachers, um, which is a very good organization. Um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of different organizations that do exist. I would just look for ones that have done things that are relevant or who have affiliated themselves again to do things. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And you mentioned that thing that uh, if you would like to become a teacher trainer, or maybe I understood it this way, it would be a good idea to have like Celta, Delta, and to get some other credentials. And I believe when you start doing this, you benefit from this a lot. So you start shaping your ideas as teacher trainer better as well. So we will definitely benefit from this. Yeah. Uh, okay, good. And uh, maybe one of the last questions, or maybe the last question, um, because again, finance is a pretty important issue. And recently I had a session with um, teachers from state school, uh, not in Ukraine, but still, like they don't have enough money to invest into this. So there is this thing that CELTA or DELTA is good qualification for teachers who work for language centers or who would like to go internationally. Because the financial incentive that they can get will depend on their qualifications, right? But teachers at state schools, they're not going to get a bonus. They're going to get like, thank you, we appreciate it. And that's the top. I mean, the system is changing right now, but still. Uh, so what do you think? What should they do? Should they develop themselves somehow? What are the options? Any recommendations? This is on like, you know, I, I really hated when Cambridge killed off self primary and self secondary because, in my view, these two courses were brilliant, not because they were the best courses that were ever designed. They had their problems. I, I, I worked on them from, I think, the second course that they did in Ukraine up till, I think, the next to last course that they launched in Ukraine. Like, I, I, I was on it from beginning to end. Um, it was not a perfect it had loads of we could go in i could talk about them all day but it was also a really really good course at its core and it was really affordable i think this was uh i don't remember how much it cost recently but i remember in 2019 it cost something like twelve thousand dollars to do it in ukraine considering that it was a cambridge course that gave you a cambridge certificate had observed teaching by tutors that were that were certified like you really couldn't beat that. Um, and it was a shame if they got rid of it. And if you're a teacher who's maybe not got the resources to invest really heavily, um, like a state school teacher or something like that, then what you might look into is there are loads of online courses now. Now, these courses are not going to have observed components because hiring a teacher to observe you is expensive. I mean, it's, it's, it just is. Um, but a lot of the courses that are available from programs like Coursera or 
um, that are available on um, different platforms. I think Cambridge has a few that are available. They make a lot of trainings and things available online. Uh, lots of conference sessions are available online. Um, it's now becoming a bit more popular for certain places to offer like short courses. Like uh, there's a couple of CELTA trainers that have done work um, in Ukraine before that have like, EL Tonics. Uh, it's a, they run short courses out of Greece, I want to say. Um, but they're short, like 15, 20, 30, 40 euros. There's, um, I mentioned earlier, grades got grade university which they bought a, some a similar thing they've got short courses that are all you know 20 to 50 dollars something in that that you can take and get kind of the mini credential for it which uh, i i know the people who write these courses i've written some of these courses so i i know that they're pretty good um as people like joe Conga, <laughs> who has uh also lots of kind of things that she sells and like video courses and things that she sells there's lots of these kind of courses that are popping up online, which are really um, worth doing. And I think if you're at the point where you don't have much to spend on professional development, but you're ready to spend some, invest a little bit in yourself, I think that's a way to go about it. Um, okay. That's a very good point. So the most important thing that you need to have is the desire, first of all. And maybe environment like your surrounding needs not to motivate you but it needs to set an example because i believe sometimes sometimes it happens that no one around you wants to develop and when you make an attempt your environment tells you yeah. come on well you don't need to be in a hurry is um i've had i've experienced this um when the kids or the students start leaving your classroom all happy and smiling and they're consistently and you see all the teachers walk out of their grumbling faces and you're walking around with a smile on your face because you've just done something really cool and like it went really well and all the kids really loved it all the students all the students you work with really loved it they start noticing and then when they start noticing, they might start asking questions like, oh, I saw like the kids were really like, what were you doing with them? They were so happy. Okay, now that can start turning around really quickly. Um, because it's one thing okay. is um, if people, if you tell them to do or you say, oh, I've heard about this, whatever. But when they see the results of it, they might decide they want those results for themselves. And so then it's a bit easier to get people on board. So you shouldn't look for a game changer because you yeah. can be one. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to wait for everybody else. You can, you can, mm -hmm. you can be the one that they're all catching up to. You don't have to wait for them to come along with you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That, that's great. And it's great that we're finishing on such a motivating and inspiring note yeah, that we can do anything we can do everything we just need to invest a bit of time and be curious i believe question things right and to have the desire okay chris thank you very much uh yeah it was even a bit longer than we planned uh sorry for this but i believe that a lot of people will find it beneficial i found it beneficial myself even though i prepared the questions and i kind of expected some particular information yeah having communicated with you 
like on the other courses. And it was even a bit of a revision for my Delta course as well. When he started talking about some theory, so it was definitely beneficial in all terms. Thank you very much for your time on this day off. Yeah, I hope guys who listen to us will enjoy it. Thank you so much for having me.